Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Derby against the bottom half to my Derby against the top six. It's Justin Peach. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Justin. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm really good. It's been it's been an interesting week of games, I think. There's, as you said, Derby beat Bournemouth. It's, it's opened it up at the top of the league and the bottom. It has. It definitely has. And more importantly, we're recording this podcast at seven o'clock in the morning. You're feeling a bit croaky because the first time you've <laughs> ever recorded a podcast in the morning. Are you ready to go, do you think? I've only been awake for 20 odd minutes. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. We can. There could be some clever editing to make me not sound terrible, but... For a change. <laughs> cheers, cheers, mate. Okay. Cheers. So we'll start off with the first game from the midweek games in the championship. Of course, this is a midweek episode. It's worth pointing out. So we're just going to run through all the games in the championship and then we'll go on to the news and what have you in uh, Sunday's episode, which you have to look forward to. But we'll start off with Cardiff nil. QPR won. Chris Willock getting the goal for Rangers. A fairly even game, I thought. Although both teams, the one nil probably doesn't do the game justice because there are plenty <laughs> of uh, plenty of chances. But ultimately, it's five straight losses for Cardiff, and you've got to feel like it's a significant loss in terms of Neil Harris's job security, Justin. When you when you lose at home to a team that are below you, yes. It's a, it's a disappointing one when you compare both the sides as well. Keith Moore was back for Cardiff. Okay, he might take a couple of games to get going, but yeah, when you compare the two sides, you know you'd say that Cardiff, Cardiff edged them, but QPR might have edged the game in terms of the, the chances that they had. And obviously, they got the goal as well. There was a, there was a couple of key saves that came from Smithers that you know kept it kept it a one nil. So yeah, it, it is a key game for, for Neil Harris in terms of whether or not he stays or goes. You mentioned Smithies making a few saves. QPR could have had more. They had a goal disallowed, which looked a bit questionable. They also had a blatant penalty not given for handball by Sean Morrison. I had no idea what the referee was thinking for that one. But it was another poor performance by Neil Harris's men. And defensively, they look shaky, which you don't expect. Well, we've come to expect with Cardiff this season, but you don't usually expect with Cardiff. It's another disappointing result, and I've got, to, I've got. For me, I don't want to say it's the final nail in the coffin, but this felt like it's a significant loss um, for whether Neil Harris stays or he goes. Because mm-hmm. I assume of the signings that Cardiff have been making in January, they still fancy themselves to maybe finish in the playoffs this season. I mean, the gap between them and the top six is getting quite chunky now, but something's got to change, hasn't it? I think one way you've got to look at it, you've got teams like Barnsley, Blackburn, um, Stoke and Borough who are above them, who are a lot more consistent than they are. And that's Stoke, who we'll get onto shortly. They've only won three games since November, yet they're still above Cardiff. They're not, they're not going to get in the, the, the playoffs this season. It's, it's as easy as that. Um, they, they should be because of the squad they've got. And when you spend £5 million on a loan signing, you expect to be in the playoffs. Mm. No, no yeah. one spends that money to finish outside the playoffs. You talk about Harry Wilson, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he, he's not really worked out, has he? He started off <laughs> quite well, but since then he's gone very quiet. Um, and it's just really not working. It's, um, it's very disappointing. It's now 12 points between them and the top six. I mean, we mentioned before, 
we spoke about Villa, who went on that massive run before. So um, maybe if Cardiff got rid of Neil Harris and brought in someone who could turn the corner with them. But, I mean, it's a big ask, isn't it? So you've got to say the playoffs probably are out of the question now. They're closer to the bottom three than the playoffs. So Exactly. And if you said that at the start of the season, you'd have, <laughs> you'd have been amazed. Um, the word debuts given to Cardiff's new signing, Perry NG from Crewe and Max Waters from Crawley. Two young lads, so you'd hope that they'd be a long-term investment. But two straight wins for QPR, Justin. They keep doing this. They seem to win a couple <laughs> of games when Mark Warburton seems to be just about to get sacked. And then they go on a winless run again. So... <laughs> It's very odd, but let's not take anything away from them. No, no, they, they they played really well here. And you say that about QPR, I immediately looked down towards the bottom five and I was like, hold on, where are they? And they're back up to 17th. Okay, they're only seven points above the relegation zone, but as you say, they, they, they're kind of bad run of form. They'll get sucked back into some form of danger and then they'll pick up a couple of wins uh, and get themselves back out of it. And it's two good wins in a row. It's two clean sheets as well, which... As we saw, I think before Christmas, it's really hard to sort of nail down when fixtures are because of the amount of postponements have been. But I think it was before Christmas where they had a run of games where um, they were defending terribly, um, and they seem to have recovered that in the last two. And to keep a, a Cardiff team out that are that do have the ability to bombard you, and they did at times. Um, it's really it's a really big positive for them. Well, the big man for that was Senny Dieng, who made some mm. brilliant saves. And he's been superb this season, hasn't he? QPR have been, uh, well, same same as last season, really. They were shaky defensively, and, and that's kind of carried on this season. Maybe not to the same extent, but still not ideal. But Senny Dieng has kept them in n- a number of games now, and this one included. He hadn't played really before this season for QPR has he but he's been given his chance this season and Mm -hmm. he's really taken it by the horns and has pulled off some magnificent saves and he's just a young lad as well he must be one of the youngest if not the youngest keeper who's playing regularly in the championship this season he's already attracted a bit of interest from Premier League sides and it doesn't surprise me because when a young lad is put between the sticks playing regularly for a championship side and does as well as he's been doing he's going to get looks from teams higher up in the uh, pyramid, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Either way, let's move on to the next game, which was Derby 1, Bournemouth 0. A bit of a surprise, to say the very least. I suppose it's not as much of a surprise when you consider Derby's fantastic record against the top six, which is just one of the most bizarre things in the Championship this season and kind of sums up the Championship as a whole, really, doesn't it? So far this season, they've only won five games, of three of the teams they've beaten include Norwich, Swansea and now Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. Worth keeping, worth pointing out as well, they've also drawn with Bournemouth in the reverse fixture, drawn with Swansea as well. How are this team still right near the bottom of the table? It doesn't make any sense. No, it's strange. and You, you forgot Brentford as well. They kept the and clean Brentford. sheet against Brentford. So that's, that's four clean sheets out of... Um, well. Playing these sides, which is incredible, um, it's a, it's become a bit of a cliche now. But when you play against teams that are a bit more expansive, you tend to get a bit more license to play your own game. You look, you compare Rotherham to Bournemouth. Rotherham sat very narrow. Um, sorry, they, they defended the wide areas really well. They made Derby come narrow. Derby don't have any creativity in the middle, so they can't penetrate teams who force Derby to come to come centrally. Whereas Bournemouth, I think Nathan Byrne at times was the 
highest player forward and he was mm. playing right wing back for Derby um, they gave Derby a lot of licence to, to attack the um, attack the wide areas and they took advantage of it yeah it's not like Derby sat back is it it's not yeah. like yeah. if you heard about a side right near the bottom who was constantly getting results against the top sides in the division you might have thought okay well they might be just parking the bus and then breaking and scoring from the odd shot but it's not they're, they're going toe to toe with these big teams mm. and coming out on top in many occasions so it's, it's a really weird situation the man who stood out again is Christian Bielik who was I just, knew you were going to say Bielik well it's hard to say anyone yeah. else really Justin because he was just head and shoulders above everyone else it's sometimes I come <clears> up <throat> with these situations in my head like if you took a Premier League player and put him in a conference side would that conference side get promoted it's not as bad as that, but it's like you've got... What are you imagining? Hang on, get, I'm getting to the point. It's like taking a top-half Premier League player and just shoving him in a championship side who are near the bottom <laughs> of the table okay. and just seeing what happens. He's playing like a top-half Premier League player at the moment mm-hmm. and he's just surrounded by players who are not on his level. Do you know yeah. what I mean? No, I do, and... Full credit to Bielik. It's also it's worth pointing out that he saw himself as a centre half. I think he said himself that he wants to play centre back. They'd be stupid to put him at centre back now. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to mention Graham Shinney, which is why okay. I'm surprised. Um, he's played out of his skin pretty much all season, and this game highlighted his ability. Um, he, he completed the most amount of passes for Derby. Um, he had the best passing accuracy in the opposition half. He completed four crosses, five tackles. Um, game possession eight times, so he won the ball eight times and played two key passes as well. And he also sits second highest in the league for defensive duels won out of um, all the midfielders in the league. So it, it tells you, firstly, the the what he's been doing has been going under the radar completely. And secondly, perhaps edges Bielik throughout the whole season. Oh, come on. <laughs> Get out of here. That is the most ridiculous thing you've ever said. I'm sorry. Um <laughs> But Bournemouth now, it's two straight losses and they've only picked up one in their last, one win in their last six games. So it's a concern, isn't it? Because Bournemouth looked like they were suddenly the team to beat in the Championship and looked like they were heading on a course straight for, back to the Premier League, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But it suddenly hit a bit of a rocky patch. Do you think it is just a rocky patch? I think it is. I think um, it's just, it's just, part and parcel of the, the season they've had a fairly good run of well game and form but I think the really disappointing thing here was they just didn't get Slanky in the game enough they didn't try and get the ball through the middle it's quite hard when you've got players like Shinny and Bielik in there who are shielding the, the, the defenders but the wing backs didn't create nearly enough width for Bournemouth in this game you've got Jack Stacey and I can't remember who, who the other one was now. Adam Smith. Adam Smith. Adam Smith. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's there's two there's two right footers there. There's two right footers which, when you're trying to quit, create width, isn't isn't nearly enough. And it played into Derby's hands. They played three at the back, um, and it was just easy for them to, to mop up until the last 10-15 minutes when he got a bit nervy. Yeah, of course. Norwich two, Bristol City nil. Jordan Hugill getting a double and having a man like Jordan Hugill as backup to Timu Pukki when Pukki's not available is always handy, isn't it, Justin? It is. It is. I I I sort of like Hugill and I sort of don't like Hugill as a player. Um, I don't think he contributes nearly enough as he as he should. But at QPR, he showed that 
he's got a lot more to his game than just heading the ball, even though both his goals here were just headers. two headers. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I think he, I think he scored two in 15, 16 games before this game, and he obviously bags two now. And he, him, him stepping up is is massive for Norwich, and it's probably a little bit unfair on the rest of the league because you've got a player who you know can score double figures quite easily, and he's not yet hit the ground. Um, he's not he's not got yet got going, so potentially there to to have a good run of run of goals over the next few weeks. Mm. He's a good championship striker, isn't oh, yeah. he? Yeah. And if he were playing regularly, I don't think Norwich would be as productive going forwards as they would be with Timo Puku, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely a good player to have coming off the bench. But it was a comfortable win in the end for Norwich, really. Bristol City barely laid a finger on a Daniel Farker's men. Um, what did you make of the game from a Bristol City perspective? I think the damning thing with the result is it was as straightforward as you get for Norwich and Bristol City barely offered anything, which is frustrating. It's really frustrating because you look at the players that Bristol City have got and how they can potentially play. Um, it's not it's not good enough. And I wouldn't say Dean Holden's under pressure, but as the weeks go on, when you come against teams that are above you, you expect a little bit more, at least defensively. At least defensively, and they, they just weren't good enough here. No, they weren't. Um, Norwich aren't the most offensively solid side, as we've mentioned plenty of times on this podcast. I think they are definitely lacking a bit of creativity in the in the uh, middle of the park. I mean, they're playing Viner and Nye in the middle, and then they've got Casey Palmer and Abdelakun on the wings. Uh, Casey Palmer has been a bit off form for quite some time now, and Abdelakun's a young lad who's just come back into the team. So it's something that I think they need to try and address really in the uh, January transfer window it doesn't sound like it's something that's maybe going to happen but if that is the case then that's going to be a concern for Bristol City in the long term speaking of creativity though Justin Daniel Farker has been talking this week about the possibility of Emmy Brendier being sold he's 99% certain that he won't be he says it's going to take a big offer for that potentially to happen he says 99% how big is that 1%, do you think? Well, Arsenal are the team that have been linked with him quite often, right? Yes. And they've just and terminated Ozil's contract. Well, that's the thing I was going to mention. Fabrizio Romano, who is the journalist god in terms of uh, football reporting and transfers and what have you, mm-hmm. um, he has been talking about how Arsenal have got rid of a lot of players recently including the likes of Ozil, Socrates, those kind of players and you'd imagine it looks like they're trying to free up some money in the bank and apparently what Arsenal want is a midfielder. Emi Brendia is the one who keeps getting mentioned so Mm -hmm. I've asked this question before how much do you sell them for if Norwich get offered 35 million do you think they'll have to consider it? I'd say no. I think January adds an extra ten or fifteen million pounds onto a value, but just because it's so hard to source an alternative player. So I think anything less than forty, forty-five, fifty million, I'd say no. I, I think forty million. You've got to ask the question. Uh, yeah, you do go. Well, oh, maybe I'll think about it, and then you sit on it, and then maybe reject it. I mean, if, if they keep Brandia, I think. They probably will go up. If they lose him, I'm not so sure. I said before, I, I think Prendy, if they lose him, that is a hammer blow to their promotion hopes, even though they have built up a pretty decent uh, cushion at the top of the championship now, haven't they? Let's go on to the next game, Justin, which was a goal fest at the New York Stadium. Rotherham 3, Stoke 3. 
Before this game, Stoke had only conceded six away from home. And looking from this game, you would have never guessed that because Stoke's defending was terrible at times, wasn't it? It was. It was awful. I I, I, saw, I did forget when I was doing my notes that whether Stoke were terrible at defending at home or away, but it was at home that they're bad. Yeah. But it seems to have, as you say, it's soaked into their away form as well. Rotherham with a better team here. Um, it's it's become a really poor run of form for Stoke for me. New signings clearly need to be integrated, but they're conceding goals far too easily. Um, they should be able to see out the, the one-goal leads that they pick up, um, but they haven't, which is why they've only won three games since beating Huddersfield on November 21st. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, there were some funny goals, though, yeah. in, in this game. Angus McDonald's own goal, which oh, kind yeah. of just careered off his shin over <laughs> Jamal Blackman into the far corner. That was great. And then Michael Smith's goal, was very funny as well. Um, I can't remember who had the initial volley. I think it was Wiles. He's the, the corner's come over to him and he's hit it on the full volley and he's kind of sliced it. And then somebody on the line for Rotherham has headed it back to Michael Smith, who's just poked it in. It was superb. It was a great team goal. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, Nick Powell's boxing celebration. He did it again, mm-hmm. this time right in the face of James McLean, who he was obviously referencing to after he got um, in trouble for going to a private gym to box. He didn't look particularly impressed when he saw what happened. Uh, but either way, well done, Mr. Powell. I love your shit housing. Uh, but Stoke have drawn a lot of games this season, Justin. That's their 10th game they've drawn now. And you get the feeling that if Stoke do want to break into the playoffs, they've got to convert some of these draws into wins, haven't they? Yeah, I mentioned it um, just a, just a moment ago that they're, they, they're going 1-0 up um, and they're not seeing the game out. It's as simple as that. They're not getting that second goal either. And that's, that's something that's killing them. And we said um, a few weeks ago that without someone like Tyrese Campbell, it's, it's going to be a struggle. And of course, they've they've brought in um, a a few players, but none of them are striker, which is probably the only thing that surprised me the most. But then again, they've got Gregory, Vokes, and Fletcher, none of which are prolific, which is which is the issue. Um, But yeah, it's it's a lot of draws, and quite a lot of those draws have come since that since that um, win against Huddersfield on on November twenty first. Well, they've been playing Nick Powell up front recently, and he's been playing out of his skin. Doing all right, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So. in terms of striker position, they're all right in that count. They just need someone up, si- up front alongside him. Rabi Matondo played in this game. It seemed like he was playing wing-back. Not sure that's where I'd put him. Mm. But, um, nonetheless, Stoke just five points off the top six now. So they're still well in there with a chance. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Middlesbrough, Brentford and Reading. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the second tier 
podcast. Justin, just before uh, we crack on with the rest of the midweek games in the Championship, obviously we are recording this podcast earlier than usual, and I can't help but notice how raspy your voice sounds at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Is it something you reckon you might be able to bring into future podcasts? If I dehydrate myself before we record, could we usually do it like a midday, early afternoon mm-hmm. on, a, on a Sunday? If I dehydrate myself until then, I don't see why not. Lovely. I might pass out, so if you hear a thud, that's me done. Hey, some people might say that improves the podcast. <laughs> let's go to <laughs> let's go to the game at the City Ground between Forest and Middlesbrough. Chris Hutton versus Neil Warnock, the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. It finished two one to Middlesbrough, so the immovable object wins. Uh, to be fair, Borough could have won this by more. There was some poor defending from Forest at times, wasn't there? Yeah, it was like we were back in October, November, where De Forest just just decided not to defend. Like they parted so easily. The George Savile goal epitomised. I think Joe Worrell's desperate lunge to tackle one of the um, Borough players breaking forward was yeah as desperate as it got. As I say, um, yeah, the defending was terrible, and that's what that's what let them down. And it they, they made it easy for Borough. And Forest didn't really get into the game until the final f- ten, five ten minutes. Yeah, the first goal as well was uh, Warrell just let some along and just walk past That's him. That's the one, it was, yeah. It was very odd. Um, which is strange considering they have conceded just four goals in eight games of Forest. So it looked like they turned the corner defensively and we had Forest fans tweeting us at the weekend saying Scott McKenna was their next gods, but <laughs> it just wasn't. We just didn't see that in this game at all. No. Uh, it was also their first loss in six. So. Uh, do you think this could be the start of another bad run of form for Forest? Because they are just still hovering above the bottom four at the moment. But it did seem like they had turned a corner. So this has kind of raised a few question marks, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, mainly because I, I was thinking this, like coming up against a Neil Warnock side, a Neil Warnock Borough side after a defeat is probably the worst thing for, for an opposition team to, to come up against mm. because it always looks like he's got a chip on his shoulder and they'll always make things better in the next game. They, they learn very quickly, Warnock sides do. Um, and I just think it was a case of that. But then again, the defending did not help Forrest at all and it was poor. So, you know, it could be a run of, it could be the start of a, a bad run of form. We'll, we'll see in the next game. It's, it's, hopefully it isn't because, as you say, Forrest, Forrest really did pick up. Yeah, it's a reminder that they're still not out of the relegation battle just mm-hmm. yet, even though they had gone on this pretty decent run of form, which had seen them seemingly on a course <laughs> higher up the table. Uh, Yuri Ribeiro got a red card after butting heads with British Sombolonga twice. Um, it seemed like a bit of a harsh red card. I don't know about you. What did you think? At first glance, you know, a, a, a referee only gets one glance as well. At first glance, it looked like he did. He did. Um, he did go to nudge him on re- uh, on the replay. It didn't look too bad, but then again, the stamp—not really a stamp, actually—but the the forceful nature in which he tried to receive the ball from Savile was perhaps a yellow card. And then the second yellow card was the uh, the suggestive movement towards the Sobolonga's head. So perhaps a red card was justified. Maybe. Maybe. Five wins in seven now for Middlesbrough, who are just on the edge of the playoffs and still looking pretty good, especially when they take the chances. 
Well, that's that's the difference between this game and the game against Birmingham City on Saturday. They they took their chances, um, and yeah, it, it was it was a, it was a good performance, as you say. You know, Asombolonga, who for me has he has to step up this season because he hasn't for, for the majority of it took his chance really well. He had so much time and space that made it easier for him. But the second goal was really good, a good breakaway, a good counter attack, and then George Savile who. Um, who started in with a, with, a, with a great run and that's that's it and they defended well in the final 10 minutes because they did come under a barrage yeah Brentford won Luton nil Saman Godos with the goal it was interesting to see his name on the score sheet Justin because at the start of the season Brentford fans were telling us that they were expecting him to be the replacement for side Ben Rama but that's obviously not happened Godos has barely featured much this season it's mainly been Sergi Canos who's been playing in the Ben Rama role but him getting a goal here will be interesting to see if he manages to build upon it won't it it will and we've all been waiting for him to step up and it just hasn't quite happened yet but obviously the goal the goal he got against Luton perhaps we'll see him kick on and as you say it's 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 good to see another player um contribute you know Ivan Tony. Although Ivan Tony was pivotal to the, the build-up of the goal because it was a, a really good touch to Mbwemo into the corner and then a really good cross into the box. When he doesn't score, other players have got to step up for him and um, they did because it was a tight game up until up until the goal. Yeah, well, other players have been stepping up recently. It's four straight wins for the Bees, unbeaten in 16. 16, Justin. It feels like they haven't played for ages because they had a, goal, uh, a game... Um, called off because of Covid at the weekend and then there was the FA Cup as well so it seems like we haven't spoken about Brentford in a long time but they are still well in this promotion race aren't they in fact I was saying at the weekend or the weekend before rather I fancied them to be my team most likely to get promoted at the moment you said Bournemouth are you starting to come round to my way of thinking I honestly I didn't realise Brentford had gone sixteen games unbeaten, which is bad because obviously we do a championship podcast, but they've just been quietly getting along with things and that's good. You know, you know, when you've got players like Said Ben Rama who just attract the limelight just because of how good they are, how talented they are, when you take them out of the team, they become easy not to talk about because they don't have that X factor that they have. But the X factor now is everybody else pulling in and as you say, that the sixteen games unbeaten games in hand on Norwich there's 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 an argument for it well the big talking point from the game which will cause concern for Brentford fans was Ivan Tony being sent off uh, he was involved in a commotion with Tom Lockyer we don't actually know what happens because the cameras didn't pick up what happened in the Premier League there's you know millions of cameras all poked around the stadium and at least one of them would have saw what happened but in the championship we don't get that luxury what do you think happened Justin um, I think that they just had a good chat and the referee didn't like it. No friends in football. The no. referee took exception and he, and he set them both off. Yeah, they tried to settle their differences in a friendly, calm way. And the referee was like, no, not on my, not on my pitch, mate. Get out of here. So both of them, <laughs> uh, they both got sent off. Although you could have argued Ivan Tony should have been sent off for the elbow. That was a... Slightly raised in the challenge with Tommy Lockyer previously. That that's oh, kind of what go. led to it before. Yeah. So um, there you go. But Ivan Tony, he's going to be a big miss, isn't he? Even though he hasn't been scoring recently, he offers so much more to Brentford going forward, doesn't he? 
Yeah, as 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 we pointed out, it was a very unselfish display against Sluan, and um, he offers a lot more than just than just scoring goals. He's not a, he's not a poacher. He's an all round player, as we saw with the build up for for the Godos goal. So yeah, hopefully players like Marcus Force can come in and step in and um, fill that gap. I think it was a second yellow for Tony as well, so it's just a one game ban. Yeah, it will be just the one game, but you don't want to lose a player like him, even though they have got a superb striker in Marcus Force as the backup, so it's not the end of the world. Reading 3, Coventry 0. John Swift's free kick, Justin. My lord, that was amazing. Goal of the season for you? No. Okay. Who? who, who I, I thought Lucas Zhao's goal was better than John Swift's. What? I think that I think the technique for Lucas Zhao's goal was... A lot, a lot harder to master than John Swift's free kick. You are aware that John Swift took the free kick. That wasn't Lucas Shaw, aren't you? I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. I think anybody can just hit the ball at the goal and score from 30 odd yards out with no wall and a dodgy keeper. Okay, I, I think that's very harsh because that is <laughs> one of the most spectacularly hit free kicks I've seen. The way he struck it and the way it just wobbled and flew straight to the top corner was spectacular. Admittedly. There were plenty of Coventry fans and fans of other clubs, actually, who were saying the keeper maybe should have done better. Mm. I can kind of see where people are coming from with that, but I thought that free kick was just so good. Would it be my goal of the season? But probably free kick of the season, without a doubt. Um, Let's move on from uh, the debate about the goals, because (laughs) quite frankly, Reading took Coventry apart here, didn't they? They did. Uh, they they put Coventry to the sword, and um, I mean Coventry could have been two up in the first ten or fifteen, and they had two really good chances which they missed, um, and that's where it could have been a different game. But what Reading do is they 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 they've created a lot of chances in this game, and they've taken their ones. And as I say, Lucas Shaw's goal was unbelievable. His first touch, you know, chef's kiss, and it only took two touches to bring the ball down, compose himself, and slide the ball into the goal. Um, so when I mean, you got players like that, it's, it just makes it just makes life so easy. I love Lucas Shaw so much. You know what I love when you use the phrase "chef's kiss." If we mm-hmm. can use that a lot more on this show, I will be a very happy man. In fairness to Reading, obviously, um, I've given them plenty of stick this season for maybe not being as good as uh, the table suggests. But they look a different side now to the one that we saw earlier in the season. They're creating more chances. I know I said I thought they might slide down the table into mid-table, but I am coming around to the idea now that they might just hang on to a playoff place, although there are a few teams hovering <laughs> around outside of the playoffs. But uh, fair play, they do look a different side. And with John Swift back, he adds a new dimension, doesn't he? Because when you've got a front four of Elise, Mate, Ijaria and Zhao, that's one hell of a front four. And then when you've got John Swift added into the mix as well, that's a very exciting attacking quadrant. Quadrant? No, that's four, isn't it? Quintuple. Yeah, that's f- quint five. Qu- Just say quint- five. Quintuple five. Attacking five. Um, let's talk about Coventry because their results have just started to take a turn. Um, not the end of the world just yet, but could they get dragged back into the relegation battle? Do you think? Potentially, I think the worrying thing is teams like Rotherham have got games in hand on them. Uh, you know, if Rotherham win their two games in hand, and obviously Coventry, well, no, Rotherham would be a point behind Coventry in that in that in that sense. So yeah, you do have to look over your shoulder because you look at this game and think, okay, they conceded goals far too easily. The the Lucas Shaw goal could have been defended better. Um, 
he's, he's Lucas Charles an absolute beast. You know, you're not going to stop him, but you could have done a lot more to to stop the goal, the cross, for example, the free kick, McFadden getting sent off for the swift free kick didn't need to make the didn't, mean, didn't need to make the tackle. So yeah, they're they're starting to a lot of errors starting to creep in again. Um, and you just need to iron them out. If they iron them out, they'll be they'll be fine because they've got talent in their team. Yeah, they were looking pretty good defensively, weren't they, quite recently? Mm-hmm. I mean, at the start of the season, they were in absolute shambles defensively, <laughs> but they have managed to tighten up. But in the last few games, a few alarm bells have started to ring in my head from a Coventry perspective. They're just six points above the bottom three at the moment. Let's go to Watford 1, Barnsley nil. Justin. Uh, Troy Deeney's penalty was the difference here. First off, I just wanted to ask you about the penalty. Has Troy Deeney purposely kicked the ball against the player's hand? I won't be surprised. He He's, he's a well-known shithouse. So, he yeah, is a well-known I think shithouse. He is. he is the master of shithouse. He is the Mr. Yeah. Miyagi of shithouse. <laughs> um, the Barnsley player had his arm out trying to point to a Watford player, I think. And Troy Deeney seems to have just noticed that and kicked the ball against it and if that's the case then fair play to him because that is that is amazing and then the penalty itself he has smashed it straight down the middle Jack Walton in the Barnsley goal anticipated it going straight down the middle stood where he is and still couldn't save it because it's been hit so bloody hard why don't players just do that more often doesn't make any sense to me he's got to take one in the face there hasn't he Walton it's like um, you know that meme that was going around for ages of the keeper um saving it with his face all the time do you know what I mean this is an old advert wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah I know what you mean bring that back but stick him in goal for Barnsley uh Watford a fairly comfortable win really wasn't it Barnsley's best chance was Francisco Seralta's diving header and he was a he's a Watford defender for those who don't know he's managed <laughs> to uh kind of divert it straight into um the Watford keeper and it looked like it was heading for the net but a, yeah. a brilliant save in the end um Watford are looking all right now under Isco Munoz, aren't they? It's three wins in four, and those three wins, they've looked fairly good, haven't they? They have. The, the game against Huddersfield, for example, I told you, I, I love the, the cleverly goal because of the ter- determination to get to the ball, and certain players have had... It looks like a bit of a weight's been lifted off the shoulders, but this this game here probably echoed back to the Ivic time, the Ivic wins, you know, where it was just a little bit tight. But, you know, Watford had defended really well. They... Blocks six shots in the box. You know, Barnsley did get a lot of opportunity, and they are going to get it high up the pitch because of how they press. But Watford stood firm. I think the only the only worry for me is the likes of Andre Gray. He's had three shots on targets in, in this game, and he's, and he's yielded zero goals. If if Watford aren't going to get in the playoffs, it's because Deeney and Gray aren't contributing enough from open play. No, definitely not. That's the criticism that's been shown at them plenty of times this season by Watford fans for Barnsley. I think they need to have a chat with Derby because it's another loss to a side in the top six. They're amazing against sides outside the top six. They've won pretty much every game since uh, Valerie Ishmael's come in, but um, they really they lose to sides who are in the top six. It's a real bizarre kind of thing, really. But uh, let's move on to the game between Huddersfield and Millwall. That finished 1-0 to Millwall, only Millwall's second win. In 16 games, just in Scott Malone with a beautiful finish. Did you see that? Yeah. Just placed perfectly into the corner. Love that. Well done, Scotty. Uh, Millwall also had a goal disallowed for some reason. I don't really know why. (coughs) The 
the ball was kicked against a Millwall player who was down on the ground and apparently it was offside, but he didn't look offside to me. But nonetheless, <laughs> Millwall got the win, so I suppose it doesn't matter. Uh, the injury crisis at Huddersfield has um, really hit them hard, hasn't it? They've lost four in the last five games now. Nonetheless, they had some decent chances here, didn't they? They did, and I think the th- especially this game, they were relying on their style of play to break Millwall down. And if it's not worked for 80 minutes, then maybe just lump it forward a little bit, go a bit more direct, ask questions of um, of Millwall, because they are a shaky, tar- a shaky side defensively this season. Um, but... There were there were opportunities, and I think that's something that they are missing about the likes of Karoma is having um, a striker who can put away chances. Obviously, they, they hit the bar of a penalty as well, which isn't great. So it's maybe a tad more unfortunate they didn't get a result out of this game than it is playing poorly because they had chances, they played okay. Surely, Millwall lumping it forward against Millwall is the worst thing you can do. You say that, but the way Millwall defended space behind him, especially, I wouldn't be surprised if. Huddersfield had uh, opportunities getting behind. Mm, I can't say I agree, but uh, something we can agree on, Justin, it's great to see Richard Keogh back in the championship, made his debut for Huddersfield last night. Yeah. It's it's an interesting <coughs> move, isn't it? We'll obviously give it a mention on Sunday when we go through the transfer news, but I feel like we've got to talk about it now because you love Richard Keogh, don't you? I do. <laughs> I don't know why he gets so much flack. Um, for me, he's one of the best championship defenders Ever, I think you know he's he's played the amount of games he played over eight, uh, seven or eight years for Derby. So it's a good signing. He's had a career-ending injury. Uh, he did every ligament in his knee, mm. and he was back within under a year. It's remarkable, isn't it? Remarkable what? turnaround. Yeah, he's done so well to come back, and he's <coughs> from what I've heard from MK Dons fans, they've he's been fairly impressive since signing for them, and now he's back in the championship, and looks like he could play could be playing regularly for them. Yeah, just just watch a few clips of MK Dons playing because they play some ridiculously risky football out from the back and they do it very, very well, which is why I think Corbrand's gone for Keogh because the amount of mistakes Huddersfield have made playing out from the back, they've got arguably one of the best ball-playing defenders to probably have played in the Championship, which is weird saying that, but he's played for ball-playing teams, so it works. One of the best ball-playing defenders in the way that he loves to run forward five yards and then pass it sideways. Sprint Sprint forward five yards. Sprint forward five yards, pass it sideways. Love that. And finally, Justin, we'll finish off with the game between Birmingham and Preston. It finished 1-0 to Alex Neal's boys after a lovely counter-attack. That was... Sometimes a good counter-attack is better than a 30-yard screamer. And this was a delicious counter-attack. It was. <clears throat> it um, it looked like at times Malumbi was going to fall over when he was sprinting with it, though. <laughs> but it but it was it was good enough. Sinclair put it away, and I think until until the end of time, I think till the world finally ends, Ryan Preston will always have a winger who's their top scorer. I will not disagree with that whatsoever because they're incapable of signing strikers who <laughs> are able to get double figures. Apparently, Birmingham they've been. There is another side, aren't they, who you just can't rule out of getting dragged into the relegation battle. We were saying the bottom four look like they're kind of getting separated from the rest of the table. But when you consider Birmingham's atrocious form, really, they are probably the side that I'd look at the teams above that bottom four and say, you're the next in line to be dragged into it. Do you agree? 
No, absolutely, absolutely. They they're a team that I. They've got good players, but I don't think Crank has got a tune out of them yet. They've won just 10 points out of 54 at home since the start of lockdown, the, mm. the very first lockdown way back in March 2020, um, which tells you a lot of the issues that they have, which is playing well at home. And it's not, it's just not good enough. Um, they're a team that have been knocking on the door as well of relegation for the last five or six seasons. They have. I think the style of play form Karanka kind of suits playing away from home doesn't it and just grinding out wins and what have you Um, but in fairness this was an even game and could have gone either way I thought let's finish off Justin with who knows wins this is our league where you can win money by correctly predicting the results of championship games it's really easy to do just download the who knows wins app join our league guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship the more people involved the bigger the prize Justin we've got quite an interesting schedule of fixtures coming up really because we've only got four this weekend spread out across the whole weekend and then we've got six games in the midweek afterwards so um not sure what we're going to do with the league just yet but we'll just give our predictions anyway uh, mm-hmm. just for you know the shits and gigs really stoke watford on friday night which way are you going i'm going to go watford win. i'm gonna go for a watford win as well qpr derby I'm going to go for a QPR win. I'll go for a draw. Preston Reading. Reading. I think I'll go Reading as well. Borough Blackburn. Mm, draw. I'll go Middlesbrough because they're good at home. Blackburn's away record. And, well, Blackburn's record against teams in the top half just not very good, is it? Millwall Watford. Watford. Watford for me. Bristol City Huddersfield. Draw. I think I'll go Bristol City. Barnsley, Cardiff. Uh, cool, Barnsley. Considering the form, you've got to say Barnsley, haven't you? Borough, Rotherham. Uh, Borough, yeah, Barnsley have lost their last three games. So. Yeah, but Cardiff lost the last five. So <laughs> that's even worse. Uh, which one do you say for Borough, Rotherham? Uh, I went with Borough. I will also go Borough. Coventry, Sheffield Wednesday. Ugh, that's not a nice game. Uh, Coventry. Seems like Chef Wednesday haven't played in ages. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. They last played against Derby on New Year's Day, didn't they? Which was yeah. three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll go draw. Swansea-Brantford. Draw. That's going to be a tidy game. That is a beautiful game. I'll go Brentford. So that's Who Knows Wins. Make sure you join our league to win some big prizes and just download the app because there's plenty of other leagues you can join as well. So, Justin, that brings an end to this episode of the second tier. Thank you for listening, as always. As mentioned, we've only got four games in this weekend in the championship so it's going to be a weird episode but we'll still bring you a roundup of all those games. Shall we do a Q&A as well? Yeah, let's take some questions from uh, yeah. supporters and listeners. We'll, we'll take a few questions as well, and then we'll also bring you the news from the past week in the Championship. If you want to get involved in the Q&A, we'll put out a tweet uh, today, which is Thursday, and um, just reply to that with any questions that you've got, and uh, we'll try and answer them on Sunday's episode. Otherwise, that's it for us. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.